and welcome to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. We are very honoured today to have with us Erin Manning, um, who is an assistant professor at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences and a director of orthopaedic research. So thank you so much, Erin, for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're really, really excited to hear what you've been doing in your research. Um, but first of all, if I could just ask a little bit about your history, especially sort of within the hip dysplasia world. So um, I'm really aware that you do a lot of research in, um, in the orthopedic world. Um, and obviously, some of that is within the hip dysplasia world. So um, yeah, how did you even hear about hip dysplasia? What's your backstory? Right. So um, I, my background is mechanical engineering. So I have a PhD in mechanical engineering. Um, and I've always done biomechanics which means we kind of look at the body as a machine and figure out how it moves and what happens when things go wrong and how to fix those things and how it affects movement and the ability for people to get back to normal movement. So um, I was, you know, kind of doing traditional orthopedic biomechanics, studying adults of all type, you know, spine, hip, knee, all types of joints. Um, and then something special happened and I had uh, my first baby. So, um, <laughs> so my husband and I had our first baby who just turned five. Um, and we started kind of learning and being bombarded by infant products. And being the mom um, and the researcher combined, I started looking into musculoskeletal development and the impact of different infant products on babies' development. And what I found is that nobody's really doing anything in this field. So it kind of felt like a personal call to, to be able to address some of the questions that I myself had. So I really started looking in, in kind of just to healthy babies and how they're moving in various types of infant products. And kind of through those conversations, um, met Chad Price at um, the Hip Dysplasia Institute mm -hmm. and learned a lot about um, baby carrier designs and um, hip health and really got into hip dysplasia, which is great because, again, I come from kind of an orthopedic surgery biomechanics background. So to be able to kind of study babies, which is what I want to do, but then to look at it through an orthopedic lens and looking at hip development um, is a natural fit. Um, so that's kind of how I got into this world. And that's, that's awesome. So I, I always love to hear everybody's backstories as to how they got into it, because everyone's got a different, whether it's a personal or professional um, experience that's drawn them to it. So um, I am aware that you're working with Boba, is that right? Yes, I am working with Boba. So they are um, specialists in carriers for babies. Um, yes. And were you approached by Boba and that's how this kind of all started or did you have a, a through your research an idea of what you wanted a carrier to be and then Boba fit that so how did the link come about there? So I was actually in Denver when these ideas first started stirring I was doing my postdoctorate fellowship at the time which means I just finished my PhD and it was before I got kind of a professor job mm -hmm. um, and so Boba is actually right up the road in Boulder Colorado um, so I was always looking for an excuse to, um, to go to Boulder um, <laughs> and ended up having a lovely meeting with them and um, was drawn to their, um, Elizabeth's kind of vision for the company and how she really 
cares about the health of the babies. And that's why, you know, she's done, that's why they built this company. So um, it was an easy, it was an easy collaboration. And our first two publications um, with the, with the work that they sponsored are coming out, hopefully here soon. Um, it takes a long time to get stuff published in academia. Of course. Uh, <laughs> For any of our listeners, if you want to have a little bit more of a read of the backstory on the International Hypnosplasia Institute, there is um, a, a, a part of the interview, I think, that you did um, that's available to find through there. Um, yeah. Just sort of as a bit of an intro, a bit of a taster of the research that's about to come out. Um, and I found a, a, a paper, sort of like a, almost like an abstract, I suppose, um, that's available on the internet as well, that just gives a little bit more of a hint at uh, what's been done in the studies so far. Um, and I'd love to ask you about it, um, if that's okay, and maybe sort of translate some of the, the sort of more scientific words to, um, to a way that sort of I and the general public would probably understand a little bit more. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, there are quite a lot of words about sort of joint reaction forces and electromyography, um, which, like I said, those in the professional world will understand, but perhaps maybe some of us don't. So um, within the study that you've been doing, um, obviously looking at the positioning of the legs, which is kind of mimicking the positioning of the public harnesses um, that people are, are wearing. Um, so again, how did you how did you think about how you were going to you know come towards that that part of the study how you were going to test it what parts that you thought would be relevant to test right so those are good questions so um this has been the good thing about academia is that people have done things before you so you don't have to invent everything um mm -hmm. so a lot of the techniques that we use in the study which um, which are called motion tracking which means we kind of put reflective dots on different parts of the body and then these super special very fancy cameras can tell us um, where those dots are in three-dimensional space so then we can use a bunch of math to look at the joint angles meaning kind of how flexed your hip is or how um, abducted or adducted the hips are so people have been using and then the other technique is electromyography which you mentioned yeah. we call it emg because it's a big word for us too <laughs> so um what what these little sensors are are they're little sticky sticky boxes that you put on specific muscle groups to measure muscle activity so uh, when your muscles fire, when you're using your muscles, there's an electrical signal that these little fancy sensors can actually pick up and measure. So then we can understand kind of in these different positions how babies are using important muscle groups. And then how do we choose which muscle groups we think are important? Well, some of that is um, based on some previous work out of um, – from some groups in Florida who have done computational models. So mm -hmm. computer models, they've looked, they've built these um, computer models and have kind of tweaked things. And it gives us an indication that some lower limb muscles might be really important to help with hip development, specifically for babies with hip dysplasia or, or lax hips. So, um, so we kind of chose to target those muscles in our biomechanical study. So we are looking at... Were they? Do you mind me asking? Um, gosh, yeah, sure. So um, we did hamstrings, um, yeah. quadriceps, and um, adductors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, 
so those are the three muscle groups. Or, and then I think we did um, glutes too. Yeah, we have glutes too. So we had four muscle groups that we targeted. And then we're just really interested in the hip position. So flexion extension, ABA deduction, and internal external rotation of the hips. Um, so, so we, yeah, so those are kind of the, the terminologies that we use. And like I said, um, those, these techniques are super common in biomechanics and mechanical engineering, but nobody's ever done them on babies. So, um, we're kind of the first ones to try to develop and tweak these methods to look at questions that are related to, um, baby biomechanics, um, which is really fun. So what else do you want to know about the healthy, healthy baby study? You want to know more about the study? So much more. So, um, so obviously you're testing like the, the muscle reactions in these different positions. Um, is, is the, so I'm really sort of looking at the purpose of the, the study. Is it sort of with a, with a view to trying to get people away from having to use the public harnesses or is it sort of, um, you know, if we manage to find these carriers that can replicate the positions that people won't have to use these harnesses or be put in potentially the spiker casts or, you know, so just sort of the, the outcome really, the, the aim of the outcome. Yeah, so I think for this first study, since one, we're only looking at healthy babies, mm -hmm. and two, I'm not a medical doctor. I have medical doctor colleagues on, um, on all of my studies who can inform, who are crucial because we need, you know, clinician input here. Um, the, but the real main, you know, the main point of this study is really to look at how um, hips are positioned and muscles are being used in these various products and in the public harness. The next step really is to think about, well, is this, and then, and then kind of classify, like, this is probably a safe hip you know, a product that's safe for baby hips, and maybe this one isn't so safe. DDH or not, right? So healthy babies, probably a safe position, probably not. Um, the next step of the study is actually looking at babies with DDH. So uh, we've started this study, and we're bringing in babies who um, who have been diagnosed DDH and have started pelvic harness treatment. And we're kind of seeing how their movement and muscle activity changes um, before and after treatment and how it compares to healthy controls. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, we're always interested, because of the innovator side of our brains, in thinking about why the public harness hasn't been improved in the last 70 years and what we can do in our lab to move this innovation forward. And from our point of view, understanding kind of the basic science behind it how babies are moving within this thing, what they're doing, what that is actually, how that's actually changing their joints. Um, that's a pretty big mystery actually right now. Um, so by kind of doing some of these really basic types of biomechanic studies, we can start to answer some of those questions that then we can build on to hopefully make some innovation in this field, which I know just by meeting these parents and seeing these babies and the pelvic harnesses, we've got to do better, right? Um, medicine has <laughs> moved a long way in 70 years. Uh, we've gone from pacemakers that are the size of a room to ones that are the size of the end of my finger, yet this device hasn't changed. Um, the the pelvic harness hasn't really changed in the last 70 years. So, um, so yes, in a long-winded answer, um, our goal of the lab and the long-term goal of the lab is to understand 
how hips are successfully reduced, which ones aren't, and then build on this kind of basic knowledge to, towards innovation um, mm -hmm. to improve the treatment options for babies with hip dysplasia. It's really exciting to hear. And I think, again, a lot of our listeners will be so relieved that there is something finally being done to change the start of babies' lives and, you know, picking up on things a lot earlier and when they are picked up earlier, knowing that there is something that's so much more productive that can be done. And like you said, 70 years is a long, long time for not a lot to have changed. And yes. um, the rate of incidence, um, you know, again, with the amount of development that's happened has surprisingly not changed. Um, so, yeah, anything that's being done to, to try and improve that for the long term it will be so welcomed and be reassuring, for, I think, so, so many of our listeners. Um, We're working on it. <laughs> um, and I'm sure I can speak on behalf of everybody listening when we say thank you. <laughs> Um, the other part of the study that I was interested in um, is when you're talking about like the joint forces and the pressures on the acetabulum um, with these different positions. Um, so when the when the hip is in, you know, you talk about um, the flexion of 110 and the abduction of 50 um, and the joint forces um, that are applied in the different parts of the acetabulum. Again, where you're sort of going with that is that sort of to relate to the carrying positions um, going forwards for like the carriers? So I think that's also kind of twofold. And this is mostly, so most of the computation, all of the computational modeling work um, that I'm involved with is with my colleague at Embry-Riddle, Victor Huamueva. I totally butchered his last name. I can spell <laughs> it, um, but that's fine. Um, Victor with with um, Emory Riddle. So he's <laughs> the one that's kind of developed these um, novel computational models. And then we're working together so that my kind of real biomechanical data can serve as inputs to his models. Mm -hmm. So that study that you're referring to is was actually really looking at Pavlik harness positions mm -hmm. and which, which position may be best um, or worse for um, reduction or development of problems um, if, if there's prolonged um, pallet harness wear. So we have um, a lot of different questions that we can ask um, with that model, um, and baby wearing position is definitely one of them um, that we're currently working on together. So we don't have any results to share at this point for that. Um, but you're on the right track. I mean, we're thinking the same, the same things. It's just it, science takes a long time to do. <laughs> really, really does. But like I said, it's got to start somewhere. And, you know, the innovation and all the ideas that you guys have and from speaking to, you know, a lot of the other guys at the um, Institute of Hip Dysplasia, you know, we're, we're definitely going along the right lines now. And uh, even, even if it takes another 20 years to make some changes, you know, that's still an incredible, incredible thing to happen, you know, considering, like you said, the last 70 years when things haven't changed. So um, even if it takes another 20, you know, it doesn't matter. We're still making progress in the right direction. Right. Um, and I was really encouraged. I went to the second annual, um, oh gosh, Hip Dysplasia International Symposium, maybe? Um, in I was talking to Andrew about that. He uh, was talking about um, me coming out for the next one. So uh, was, I'm really, really excited about that. It was, so I go to a lot of different conferences for a bunch of different things because I'm involved in so much different types of research. <laughs> this was the most productive and like exciting and um, 
just like encouraging conference that I've ever been to uh, because there's not a lot of research in hip dysplasia. So what they did is they brought all the people from the U.S. who were doing anything in hip dysplasia together and on the engineering and basic science side of things. And we got to meet directly with clinicians um, and kind of share ideas with each other and, and understand how the clinicians are thinking about these problems. And it was three intense days of questions and answers and challenges. Um, but we all left there like really encouraged and enthusiastic about moving the field forward. So um, I think there's a lot to come from that group um, in the, over the next few years. And I'm just a very small part of it, but I'm happy to be part of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so from some other things that I've read um, in your vast history of research, um, I did notice a study um, that came up about hip positions and yoga. Um, which yeah. is something that's sort of probably more relevant to the adult hip dysplasia mm -hmm. world. Um, yeah. And I mean, I've been approached by yoga instructors before to ask, you know, about normal ranges of movement expected from joints um, because they want to make sure that they're, you know, developing people within the right range and, you yeah. know, worrying about pushing people too far. And mm -hmm. again, from what I've been reading, it seems to be quite a common pattern that yoga does definitely push the boundaries yes. um, <laughs> of normal joint mobility. So mm -hmm. um, just to pick your brain about that a little bit more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> in a while. Let's, let's see. So um, with the hip switch, I know there is obviously many different forms and everybody is completely different. So we definitely can't generalize to, mm -hmm. to everybody for, for these answers. But um, are there a few positions or um, certain areas of yoga that you would say that people with dysplasia are more vulnerable with? Yes, but I don't know what they are off the top of my head. Um, so, so they're in the article. So what we did in, in that study was actually pretty cool. Um, and the researcher, the lead researcher on that is Dr. Simon Mears, who's an orthopedic hip surgeon who was actually just inducted into the Hip Society, which is a, the most prestigious kind of clinical hip society in the U.S. Um, and he's a yogi. And so um, our his patients are mostly... Um, hip arthroplasty patients mm -hmm. and they would get, he would get questions about exactly like you're saying, are there positions I should avoid before or after surgery? Um, and so uh, we did this study basically to see with healthy folks, so these are again kind of all healthy folks, um, what, how people are moving their hips normally in the different poses. Mm -hmm. And so we have some graphs in there that, um, that clinicians for folks who get hip arthroplasty surgery typically recommend not to um, go over certain amounts of, um, of like flexion, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have kind of each position in there and what the range of motion requirements are for every degree of freedom. So if your doctor tells you, you know, not to go over a certain angle, then very easy to go and see kind of from our study at least what positions um, should potentially be avoided um, mm -hmm. so yeah it's a neat little study um, and like I said Dr. Mears is definitely the the expert and the the brain behind that one but it was fun for me to come in and be able to contribute to the biomechanics portion that's brilliant. And then I've seen there's a, a, a similar studies for a few other joints um, out there as well. But um, obviously our listeners are going to be um, a little bit more interested in the hip ones. I'm yes, sure. yes. And one of our one of our plans is for that is actually to follow up with 
pathological patients. So mm -hmm. patients who are still practicing yoga, but perhaps have hip dysplasia or perhaps have um, total knee or total hip arthroplasties and see how they're achieving yoga poses and if it's different or if they're doing things that they maybe shouldn't be doing or, you know, how they're achieving these positions um, with hip, um, hip geometry that's, you know, abnormal. So... I mean, it's cool. It's a cool study. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think it's awesome. I mean, when I saw it, there was a massive smile on my face as soon as I saw this. The title of this study come up, I was like, oh, interesting, because I do I do yoga myself, and obviously I've had um, the PAO, and there are some moves that I really really struggle with. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it's it's good to then have a look at that and sort of compare. Okay, well, there are all these other people in the room that seem to be doing all these lotus <laughs> positions and folding mm -hmm. themselves into all these sort of concoctions of positions. And you're like, I am nowhere near. <laughs> <laughs> oh. so, uh, yeah. so, yeah, it's yeah. like, what is normal? What mm -hmm. should I be aiming for to mm -hmm. have a really good, you know, functional lifestyle mm -hmm. um, and be able to do everything that I want to do? Um, without pushing the boundaries so far that you could then potentially injure yourself. Yeah, so, I think that's yeah. the key for hip dysplasia patient, patients and total hip patients is that is to recognize that what they have is something that's different than a healthy population, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. Just learning how to how to move and how what is safe and what is not, and what is an appropriate amount to push yourself, which is tricky, right? So. And considering as well that you've got people that have had hip dysplasia because they're so mobile um, and, you know, they're, they're hypermobile and they don't have the stability in their joint mm -hmm. versus somebody, you know, for example, like myself, who um, didn't have that level of instability, but um, after surgery, you know, 10 years after becoming so chronically stiff mm -hmm. that I then have so much inability to get into those positions. And mm -hmm. there's so, there's like, people various ends of the spectrum right and um, so yeah just to you know re dig in that point to everybody listening it's not the same for everybody so <laughs> please, please check with your local physio or um, please contact me if you'd like to have a chat about that in any more detail um but yeah i think it's an absolutely fascinating study and i just love all the work that you're doing and i just like i said thank you on behalf of probably everybody listening for all the work that you're doing and um, to try and change things in this little world of ours um pao warriors hit <laughs> um so yeah i um i i think if you wouldn't mind i would love to speak to you again um when you know, the research comes out with everything that you've got coming up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'd absolutely love to stay in touch if that's all right. Good. Let's do it. Yeah. Hopefully sooner rather than later, I'll get my, um, my team. We've got this, we're wrapping it up our, our publication. So hopefully do, here. Do you, do you have a prediction roughly? I know these things are never set in stone, but when, uh, when the research will be out, when we can have a read? Mm, it depends. <laughs> so, <laughs> So it's interesting because journals can publish from anywhere from like three months and it could be like a 12 month process. So it's kind of a crapshoot. You don't really know what you're going to get. We would love to be more on that kind of three month end of things. Um, so we'll have our, our paper submitted here, hopefully end of October, early November, um, and kind of start that reviewer clock. Um, so yeah. 
I, it will be published, um, I'm sure, with the um, International Hip Disclosure Institute. I'm sure they will uh, be popping it on there. Um, and for all of our listeners, as soon as that comes out, I will be sending the links through my profiles so that everybody can have access to that information as well. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Erin, for coming on today. Really appreciate your time. And um, yeah, we'll be in touch. Perfect. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you.